Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast, where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today, we are talking about a game that brought the peripherals back to gaming. It was still around, but it brought cooler ones, I should say. (laughs) And what had me spending hours and hours at GameStop with the second one, but just shred my way to victory on medium to start (laughs) this game was great for playing with friends um and today of course we're going to be talking about guitar hero what i loved about guitar hero at the time was that none of my friends really played music i had played guitar for a few years at this point and now Mm -hmm. i could finally do something somewhat similar with you guys (laughs) and honestly it was it was great watching you because you already having experience of like working a guitar neck, like, you know, knowing finger position, stuff like that. Obviously, Guitar Hero dumbed it down with a five button press, but you were hitting those expert notes, hitting that orange button, like going through there and us just being like, dude, the blue one's hard enough. (laughs) Like trying to hit that fourth one is hard enough to start. And it really revolutionized rhythm games at the time. I mean, we had like, you know, Dance Dance Revolution already out. You had a couple other ones that were more uh, button presses in the controller or a dance pad. And we're now seeing this for the first time in the Western world. You know, we had, we'll talk about a little bit about Konami, and they had a, a very similar game and design, but this is the first time we're getting it over into our hands. And I remember when I got this controller for the first time, I had, I had been so used to using a pick that I could not press down with my thumb, which I think was the design when you were mm-hmm. doing the strumming. So I actually had to pretend I had a pick for a very, very long time. but. Overall, like relatively easy to use, ergonomic design. I had a ton of fun with Guitar Hero. Such a great one. So let's get into it. Gear up, grab your six string, and get ready to rock. Do you have what it takes to shred like the greatest rock legends of all time? I mean, really shred? Like ear bleeding, heart pounding, face melting type of rock? If so, let us hear what you can do in Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero is a 2005 music rhythm video game developed by Harmonix and published by Red Octane for the PlayStation 2. It is the first main installment in the Guitar Hero series. Guitar Hero was released in November 2005 in North America, April 2006 in Europe, and June 2006 in Australia. The game's development was a result of collaboration between Red Octane and Harmonix to bring a Guitar Freaks-like game to the United States. The game features a guitar-shaped controller, resembling a miniature Gibson SG, that the player uses to simulate playing rock music. The gameplay is similar to Guitar Freaks, you know, that game I was talking about from Konami, 
in that the player presses buttons on the guitar controller in time with musical notes that scroll on the game screen. The game features covers of 30 popular rock songs spanning five decades of rock from the 1960s up through 2005. In addition to bonus tracks, Guitar Hero became a surprise hit, earning critical acclaim and winning many awards from major video game publications and was considered one of the most influential games of its decade. The game's success launched the Guitar Hero franchise, which has earned more than 2 billion US dollars in sales, spawning several sequels, expansions, and other game-related products. The game cost $70 at release with the inclusion of the guitar controller. With the average game price of a video game at the time selling, you know, around 50 to 60 bucks, Harmonix and Red Octane were not worried about their price point. Games such as Dance Dance Revolution and the newer rhythm game Donkey Konga had sold well, and Harmonix felt that they could do even better than the two. I think the hardest part at the time was the PlayStation exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, $70 for a game. I want to say that most of the games are around 50 back then. I can't 100% remember. But $70 for a game to get that controller, not bad at all. No, because we didn't really see that jump until like the 360, the PlayStation 3 era. And you had a couple that were a little pricier getting on that shift because it was kind of in the, the, the end of life coming with the PS2. So you're getting that shift. But yeah, to jump it up and to get, you know, a full controller, you know, with it as well as the game, it that definitely was not a sore mark or sore point of it, but it left you questioning if you wanted to spend that money on a game. Let's talk about the studio or in this case, the studios. Mm-hmm. Start with Red Octane. The company was founded by brothers Kai and Charles Huang in 1999 as an online video game rental company called Web Game Zone. With major competitors such as Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, and the budding Netflix. The brothers felt the pressure and knew that they could not turn a profit with this business model. They did not want to let Red Octane go, so they decided to start working on video game hardware. They noticed that Dance Dance Revolution pads would wear out rather quickly and thought surely they could create more durable pads. Charles Wang would take a trip to China and see how the pads were made at a couple factories, taking notes and learning how they could create the pads themselves. The pads were originally sold online since the brothers didn't have the money to open a brick-and-mortar storefront. They were only making enough to keep two weeks' worth of money in the bank at any given time. At one point, Charles drafted an email to send to the employees to lay them off, but decided to wait until after Black Friday. With a successful weekend, the studio started to turn a profit, and that layoff email was put on hold. Though the brothers were finally seeing a good chunk of money coming in, they knew that all it would take was Konami, the publisher of Dance Dance Revolution, to stop producing DDR in the United States to shut Red Octane's operation down. They decided to team up with Roxer Games, the developer of the popular DDR-style game In the Groove, to port it to the PlayStation 2. Their company would grow from making $3 million in revenue to $9 million in revenue. They now had the funds to work on their own game around the end of 2004. And with that, that brings us Harmonix Music Systems in. The company was founded by two MIT grads, Aaron Agassi and Alex Rogopoulos, who met in a music theory class. One day, experimenting with music toys in the media lab at the college, they had an idea. They wanted to create technology that allowed people who were not musicians to experience playing music. Their first project they worked on was The Axe, a game that allowed the player to use a PC joystick to play guitar solos. 
Commercially, the game was never success, only selling about 300 copies. However, they did receive positive feedback for the overall gameplay. Their next project was Cam Jam, a game that allowed the player to play guitar solos using body controls through a webcam. The game was actually used by Disney, featuring the Epcot Center, so it didn't really make its way commercially successful, but the tech and the idea of it actually made its way over to Epcot. The pair wanted to push what they could do with musical video games and would start to grow the company. They would hire several new employees, including Looking Glass Studios' Greg LaPiccolo. They also noticed a rise in rhythm-based video games Japan, being greatly inspired by Parappa the Rapper. From there, they released their next title, Frequency, for the PlayStation 2. Similar to Guitar Hero, which we're going to see soon, notes would flow down a track as players would hit the correct notes coming on the screen. After some time, Harmonix was able to land a publishing deal with Sony for the game. This would be the first time the studio had actually turned a profit, which is, you know, as we're seeing with a lot of these new devs, they're like, okay, finally, we've got a good one going. <laughs> Harmonix would then release Amplitude, another rhythm-based game similar to Frequency. Harmonix was now making a name for themselves and caught the eye of publisher Konami, who needed a studio to develop their karaoke game. From 2003 through 05, they released four karaoke games and iToy, Antigrav, a game developed for the PlayStation 2's iToy. Antigrav was the lowest reviewed game they had released, and yet their highest selling. Harmonix was questioning whether or not they should even continue music games until Red Octane said, hey, you up? And that's how it happened. <laughs> and so glad they did. Sent that yeah. late night text. Just that late night text. Guitar Hero would get its spark of inspiration from Konami's Guitar Freaks, a popular music game in Japan. Brothers Kai and Charles Wang from the studio Red Octane saw the success of Guitar Freaks and knew it had potential with a Western audience, since Konami did not really have any interest in the Western market. To create the game, they knew that they couldn't pull this off themselves, so they sought out other studios who had experience in making musical video games. They landed on creating their new game with the studio Harmonix, who had released rhythm games such as Frequency and Amplitude. Red Octane would create the hardware, and Harmonix would develop the software. Creating the controllers for the game was rather risky since Konami had patents based around the technology for Guitar Freaks. On the plus side, Harmonix had years and years of experience with rhythm and music games, so the coding and progression of building the software in the game would not be a problem. When development started, Harmonix would start developing the game using a third-party controller from Guitar Freaks. This wasn't ideal since they were in short supply and only strummed one way. They used these controllers with a prototype of the game that resembled Pong-style graphics while playing with Weezer's song Dope Nose. Eventually, these pixels coming to the screen would become gems. There were five slots in which the gems would come down, and on harder difficulties, every unique note played had its own unique gem to match it. This didn't make the game too easy to play, so they threw out the gem idea. They also wanted to make the visuals of the notes coming in more fun, since Harmonix had learned in the past that the player doesn't need to relate to what's going on when playing the game, just as long as they hit the notes at the right time. But Harmonix was skeptical at first. They did not think anyone really cared about guitars anymore. They assumed everyone wanted a microphone and a turntable. They were responsible for designing the controller with help from Red Octane, so they felt it best to make one resembling one of rock and roll's most iconic guitars, the Gibson SG. They designed it to feel like they were playing a real guitar, you know, albeit a smaller one. 
And I think the SG, that part is really important in my opinion because around this time was School of Rock, and that was Jack Black's guitar in that movie. Mm-hmm. So this guitar was posted everywhere at the time, pretty recognizable. And of course, uh, the lead singer of ACDC played one as well. So yes. definitely a guitar that when you see it, you recognize it right away. And I think they really wanted that because like an SG, it looks like a guitar. If you're like a layman, like trying to pick out like, you know, a, you know, a V-neck or anything like that that's out there, you're like, hey, that's a guitar. That's one I see a lot. Like, let's do that one. And it does make you feel like a rock star. It, it does. It, it, that's how it felt. You know, they continued to evolve that in later games, but this was the perfect start for that. I'd say the only one that they really could have done Otherwise, was probably the Fender Stratocaster, mm-hmm. but as we'll see later, they kind of had an exclusivity with Gibson. There's only Gibson models in the Guitar Hero game. Yes, and that's that's definitely what helped with the marketing or just you know getting more people available on this game, as you know we've seen in previous titles, like when we did with Brutal Legend. You know, some of them signed on to kind of have some exclusivity for some of the models they used for that. So. The team quickly recognized that, quote, the controller really was the kind of magic sauce for what we wanted to do. They identified three aspects of gameplay that they felt made the game stand out. These aspects included the note matching and the showmanship created by the use of the whammy bar and tilting of the guitar within the game. When Red Octane asked Harmonix what features they want on the guitar, Harmonix told them it needed that whammy bar and it needed that tilt feature. Red Octane tried to push back, stating, listen, dude, that's going to make production a bit more pricey. And Harmonix just told them simply, listen, do you want to make this game kick ass or not? Like, it needs these features. I think without the whammy bar, without the tilt, the game is definitely a lot less fun. When you, when you hit that guitar solo and tilt it up and get the star power now, I don't know about you, I don't know about our listeners out there, that whammy bar didn't last very long. No. So... You know, when you had it, it was great, but it went away. It did, especially the first iteration of the controllers. Later down the road, you know, like my go-to is the Guitar Hero 2 controller. Oh, yeah. But on the first one, yeah, it wore out, but it was so cool. One, to be able to change the pitch of the notes. And two, to like increase that star power build up. acquirement, yeah, build up yeah. of it. You know, to, to whammy on those those star notes and to build it up faster. And it just became an even higher skill level to try and do that, you know, to kind of take your hand off of strumming, hit that whammy bar when you're holding down a note and then bring it back to hit those next notes, especially if you're on like faster paced songs that have a lot more progression that you're working with. So Harmonix continued to use the third party controller until they decided to develop their own. For their controller, they decided to make it a little more complex, adding more buttons for more interactive guitar playing. The controller initially had pressure-sensitive fret buttons to mimic the playing of a real guitar, but the idea was dropped as it made the gameplay too complex. At one point, they almost cut the whammy bar from the controller, but felt it integral to being a rock star. They also spent a lot of time working on the overall feel of the guitar down to how the buttons felt on someone's finger, and how loud they'd be. By the end of development, they had gone through 97 prototype guitars. One was even set on fire. The team had spent precious development time and resources into creating a freestyle model that would have allowed players to improvise during songs, but ultimately cut it as they could not work the feature into the existing gameplay. 
So it does go to show you like what actually went into building this. It wasn't just like, okay, take that guitar, shrink it, some buttons. It's like, how does it feel? You know, like especially getting that middle note one that had a little notch, so you know exactly where you're coming back to. You know, similar to like a keyboard. You know, how how does this feel in someone's hand? Does it feel good to tilt it up? Does it feel good to hit that whammy bar? It's it's a lot of R and D for that. And I have to wonder if the one that was set on fire, if that was just an accident, if that was done intentionally, maybe it was symbolic. They were trying to recreate the Jimi Hendrix, you know, when he's on stage and he sets his guitar on fire. Who knows? I think, honestly, I think it was just someone playing and shredding and face melting so hard. Oh, yeah. That just the bowels of hell opened out (laughs) of this guitar and just set everything aflame. Actually, we lost about 13 developers in that fire uh, who, who are down in hell now. I believe that was uh, what I read as well. I think we see them in Brutal Legend. Yes, yes. That's, that's actually the tie-in uh, to the, 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 the BL, as they call it. <laughs> the game was just going to be about the guitar featuring a multitude of different genres. But a few weeks into the project, the studio knew they needed to make it about rock music, not just the instrument. Focusing on one genre would give the game more of an identity. Kay is jokingly referred to it as a, quote, balls-out American thing. Unironically, Harmonix has been waiting to make a rock genre game. They had been working with Sony and Konami for years, but the publishers would never let them have their rock genre game. All of the project leads at Harmonix would meet up at project lead Greg LaPiccolo's brother's place, which was a rockin' man cave, as we know. You you have to, if you're going to meet up to talk about, like, old school legends, you know, such as ACDC, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelins, and others. You know, they jump on, watch those music videos, and get a feel, a feel for, like, how they rocked out, how their stage presence was, and get an idea on it. Because the feel of what was going on in the game was just as important as the game itself. You know, you had to come up with something that wasn't just a, do the notes on the screen, okay, next song, notes on the screen. You had to get a feel for it. You had to feel like you were actually playing in a venue, and that's what they wanted to go for. It needed to feel like a true concert. From there, they would design the venues and character models. Harmonix would design characters from all walks of rock and roll life, from punk rocker Johnny Napalm, hair metal guitarist Izzy Sparks, and even the Grim Ripper himself. Grim Ripper, genius name. The best name. The third key aspect was the use of star power to provide a little more depth to the game. Some replay value, some interest for people as they were playing beyond just hitting the notes. The star power function of the game was added for players' instant gratification. Just playing all the songs and hitting the right notes would not be enough. Bonuses within songs needed to be added to push the player's excitement further. Originally, the studio based this system around earning stars, but they felt it was too cheesy. They decided to be literal with it, and when the player reaches star power, their electric guitar shoots out electricity, giving it like a raw overload feel. There's blue going across the screen and just feels energetic and just like you feel in the moment. I think they did that really well. And so that idea of using the whammy bar to boost star power, in addition to altering the pitch and sustained notes, was actually only realized about a month before the game started to ship. Like they had it on there just as like a, a thing. You're like you got to have, have a whammy bar with it. But it wasn't really fully realized in the game until they started to implement star power what could you do with it and push that rock star-ness of it a bit more. And probably, like we said already, one of their best ideas, because without that, it's cool to change the pitch of the note, but to have it as an in-game function, 
as well, I think was really important for the game aspect of Guitar Hero. Even though Red Octane was profitable, they still needed a good sum of money up front to purchase the inventory for the game. They were not able to raise any money from venture capital, so they decided to remortgage their homes and take on a good amount of credit card debt to cover the inventory. Red Octane would face a huge roadblock when it came to selling. No one wanted it in their stores. Their game came with a guitar, so the package would not fit on regular shelves next to other video games. Luckily, GameStop carried essentially every game. It would end up being one of the only stores that would sell it, with Best Buy being the only other store that carried the game. The other challenge faced with selling the game in a store was the box placement, which would be on the bottom shelf or top shelf, so customers might miss it if they weren't looking around. The game was developed in only nine months and cost around $1.7 million to develop. Red Octane was just hoping to break even. Now, compared to a lot of things we've covered, and just even like, let's say, modern day games, or even games of the 05 era, that's a quick turnaround. And that's genuinely for a AAA title from kind of some major publisher, you know, with Sony being involved with it. Mm -hmm. That's a low budget. So it goes to show you rhythm games weren't really mm, taken seriously, I guess I would say. It was almost like an indie development. You know what I mean? Like a lot of those felt like that. DDR had a success. It was in arcades. It finally made its way to the home. These other ones were more for people to waste time, have little party games. You know, that's kind of where we were in the Western world. Right. And I mean, we've, we've been to arcades, right? We've seen the DDR machines and the people that go up there, there's two kinds. There's the one person who gets up there and they're just kind of playing it for the first time, getting a feel. And then there's the person up there who has played that song a million times and they know every movement before it even pops up on the screen. Mm -hmm. So you are really taking a risk, I think, with people who might like to play games casually and people who do like to go and learn and memorize every single note before it even comes. And I think there's a really big gap between those people. There was, because I remember, you know, we had a place by our house uh, that was a part kind of arcade, part mini golf course. And anytime DDR was vacant, you got to jump on it. But most nights you had the DDR kids. Oh, yeah. If, if, If you're a DDR kid, you know who you were. That's right. As Derek was saying, like you memorized it and the dance was the same for everybody. You bent back, you held onto the bar behind you, and your feet just did the happy dance feet from the penguins. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what it was. And you'd get your score. It, it's, it's a whole thing, and it's cool that now we're like, okay, let's, can, we, can we take that idea and change it? Let's jump over to the marketing. So there wasn't, uh, wasn't a huge budget for it. By the end of production of Guitar Hero, Red Octane had $30,000 left for advertising. They had to be creative and rely on reviews of the game and word of mouth to sell it, rather than their low marketing budget. Red Octane was able to partner with a few music brands for the game, most notably Line 6, allowing their products to be featured in the game. Harmonix did, however, use the likeness of some popular music brands, like naming the drum company in the game DM Drums, and using the same font as DW Drums. So using that kind of like creative liberty, kind of the, the uh, spoofing or you know, the satire of it, to get the idea on there, but still legally be within those lines. The game was announced and demoed at E3 2005, early into development. Red Octane was stuffed into the basement level with other indie devs, kind of at like just a fold-out table. They ended up winning several awards from their presentation, though, including Best of Show. 
this would also be the first time that the first guitar controller and playable build of the game would meet. So they had like one here, one here, and they go, uh, we haven't really tested it yet. Just, uh, just do it. If it works, it works. If it don't, it don't. Man, and there's so many lag issues with these games, with the newer TVs and things. That's such a huge risk, I think. If there was any kind of delay between the music and what they're seeing on the screen and they go up there and try and play and are just terrible, mm -hmm. I mean, you got to be pretty good at the game. Yeah, and you know you can't have it pre-recorded. Like, it's how do you, whether it's from a projector or a big screen, how do you test it? Because there is in the game there's a way to do offsets for the audio and video because every TV is different, especially when you're doing precision note hitting. You just got to guess. Or you play it on easy and you're like, guys, this is true rock stardom. It's like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> but you've hit one note so far. <laughs> and in the later ones, they opened up that window a little bit more, yes. especially with the hammer-ons and the pull-offs and things. They, they were a little bit more forgiving on those, which I think was good. But in this very first Guitar Hero if you had ever gone and maybe Guitar Hero 2 was your first game or Guitar Hero 3 and you went back to try and play Guitar Hero 1, it's way harder. Uh, 100%, especially when you're going from like a CRT TV at that time or possibly like a DLP or something that had that had a low refresh rate. Yeah. And then you go to these higher end TVs, your refresh rate goes up. That's great for sports and action packed movies. But now you have half the time to respond to these things. Right. So it definitely changed it up. But at the time... It made sense, and it gave players that feeling of progress and that feeling of satisfaction when you could hit those notes. And you could finally go from possibly easy to medium to hard to expert and feeling like that, you know, living room rock star. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So let's talk about the main part of the game, the career mode. The career mode for the game takes you through the life of an up-and-coming musician and their band. Each venue of the game has the player perform three to five songs, depending on the difficulty chosen, and then you unlock the next venue and the next group of songs. Mm -hmm. So just want to talk about some of those. The first venue is the basement. You start out low level, as all local bands know. Sure. You're playing in your basement. Um, these are the opening licks. You've got I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. I Want to Be Sedated by the Ramones. Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie. Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple and Infected by Bad Religion. And these are very easy and also very boring to me. <laughs> well, they did include the classic Smoke on the Water. It's a stereotypical oh. kind of first song you learn of just easy, slow notes. The problem with 
songs like Smoke on the Water mm-hmm. in these games is when they are that easy and you have to play the whole thing, they're just so long and yeah. repetitive. And I remember these just being really hard for me to just get through because I was honestly just zoning for the first probably like two venues or something like that. Sure. But but yeah, it's it's good that they had classic songs in there. The next venue you go to is the bar. Now you're moving up in the world. So so you've made it out. You got you got your local your local band camp going. You know, you got uh you got some people listening, but you still have to sell your tickets. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh in St. Louis you do anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so next level of difficulty, still not anything crazy. We've got Iron Man by Black Sabbath, more than a feeling by Boston. You've got another thing coming, Judas Priest, Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand, and Sharp Dressed Man by ZZ Top. These songs I could get along with pretty oh, yeah. well. More Than a Feeling, I love Boston uh, so much, but More Than a Feeling is such a long song to play in these mm-hmm. games. And you can really zone, and it's fun when you play it on like the expert difficulty. But if you're playing it on easy, medium, oh man, uh... I don't believe that Guitar Hero 1 credited you with perfect scores. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think they introduced that until Guitar Hero 2, Guitar Hero Rocks the 80s, mm-hmm. um, which was another PlayStation exclusive. So you didn't have to worry about necessarily going in for five minutes and doing it perfectly. Later on, um <laughs> song like More Than a Feeling from Boston, which I, I think is over five minutes long, I'm going to say five minutes, 12 seconds. Someone, Someone check figure it. that out. If you're listening, but uh, yeah, doing that very, very tedious. And next up in St. Louis terms, you're going to like the ready room. You're going to a smaller venue, but we're at the Red Octane Club. We're going to thrash and burn here, baby. And we're going to start off with Killer Queen by the one and only Queen. Hey, you by Delilah. Just kidding. It's by the X's. <laughs> Stellar by Incubus. Heartful of Black by Burning Brides and Symphony of Destruction by Megadeth. I think Killer Queen was probably my favorite song from this set mm-hmm. and really one of my favorite songs in the game, but I love Queen. Oh yeah. And it's and Queen songs are just one fun to sing along to. So you've already got that going with you and now you get to rock out a little bit. It's uh, it's fun times. Now Killer Queen is not necessarily a guitar song. No. So while you're playing this, you're actually playing the piano part. If I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And so that was something they sort of had to adapt to until you get to the Brian May uh, solo part, and then the guitar comes in. But it it still flowed pretty naturally, in my opinion. It did, and we saw that in a lot of these songs, especially the bonus songs that maybe were a little electronic or so. But you have whatever the main section is, and they've adapted that to be simplistic with the guitar to basically hit an octave. And that's what they've been doing is what octave would that be based on, whether it's in the rhythm progressive section and having fun. That's really the main thing that it boils down to. And you need a queen song that isn't Bohemian Rhapsody because the time. Oh, oh the time. Oh, you need it. <laughs> and recording it. So, oh my gosh. Next up. And of course, in St. Louis terms, again, we're over at the pageant. We've kind of made it, you know, we're traveling band now. We're over in the theater. We're going to return of the shredded. We start with a little DB, some Ziggy Stardust from David Bowie, a little banana from Fatlip from Sum 41. <laughs> and we also have Cochise from Audio Slave, uh, which is the name. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> and listen, next up, I'm going to take it off with the Donnas. 
And finally, it hasn't been sung yet. It is unsung by Helmet. So out of all these, did you did you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite so far? <sighs> I mean, honestly, if we have to go with it of songs I wasn't really good at, but stuff I like to play is coming up. It's a little bit of Ozzy, you know, coming up. Oh. And then a lot of the bonus tracks, which we'll talk about, are some of the songs that I actually listened to today from local bands, people who worked at Red Octane or Harmonix, or has someone in there. But if we're just going on theater, probably some Fat Lip. It takes me oh, back. Yeah. You know, the old school days. It takes oh, me yeah. back. Um, that, with the way that they did these, which we'll talk about um, with the recordings, mm-hmm. sometimes it was harder for me to get into songs that I was very familiar with. For me, I was not very familiar with Ziggy Stardust. I thought it was an excellent cover. I listened to the real version after the fact. I had a lot of fun playing that one. So let's go now to the festival location. Now we're doing the outdoor fest. This would be your St. Louis, your Hollywood amphitheater casino venue. You've got Spanish Castle Magic by Jimi Hendrix. Interesting choice. There's a lot of Hendrix songs. I find Mm -hmm. that one interesting. Higher Ground by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age, Ace of Spades by Motorhead, and Crossroads by Cream. All-time classic. Eric Clapton. And this is where we start to get into just, everyone's a big name in this, but this is those festival names to me. Like, they can tear down the house, and everyone says, yes, please. Hendrix at Woodstock. Mm -hmm. All-time classic. And then finally, we've got the stadium. So now you've made it. You're the big time. You're at the Enterprise Center. The Blues play there, and so do you. (laughs) In this case, the Blues are the hockey team, not the music. (laughs) We've got Godzilla by the Blue Oyster Cult, Texas Flood by Stevie Ray Vaughan, Frankenstein by the Edgar Winter Group, Cowboys from Hell by Pantera, and the finale, Bark at the Moon by Ozzy Osbourne. What a great ending. It is. And the build up to it, you know, I was never a metalhead, a rockhead, you know, growing up. So a lot of these bands I had never really heard of or listened to, like the Edgar Winter Group. I knew who Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan was, never really listened to it. It just wasn't in my wheelhouse. So those were He's fine. So with, insanely good. Yeah. So those were fine with me. But like knowing Ozzy and Bark at the Moon and just the feeling you get to like end the song with that was just yeah. such a cool little cherry on top or bat head on top, whichever one you want to call it. It was just such a fun way to wrap it up. And it has such a great rhythm too. It's, it's a, I remember it being somewhat hard, but it was easy to follow along with too. It's one of those that has like a lot of palm muting in the real song. So you're just kind of chugging up and down on the, uh, the strumming aspect mm-hmm. of the, the guitar controller. It added to it, which is great. All right. Let's talk about the gameplay overall. So we're going to kind of recap a bit of what we talked about, but give you just a bit more in-depth for those of you who may have never played Guitar Hero or just say rhythm game. What's that? Boss is das. <laughs> so the gameplay is similar to other music and rhythm video games in that the player must press buttons on a game controller in time with scrolling notes on the game screen to complete a song. The player may use either the guitar peripheral, so it's that Gibson SG or a third-party version, or a standard controller to play the scrolling notes. The guitar peripheral has five different colored fret buttons, a strum bar and the whammy bar. The peripheral also has other buttons to navigate the game's menus, like a D-pad, start button, stuff that like, you need on a controller. Music is displayed on screen through a series of notes, matching in color and position to the fret buttons. 
that scroll down the screen on a fret board. To hit or play a note, the player must hold down the fret button corresponding to the note shown and toggle the strum bar at the same time the note passes a marked area on the screen. Faster series of notes may be played on the guitar controller using hammer-ons or pull-off techniques where the player does not need to strum each note. The game supports toggling the handiness or handedness of the controller, so you can do left or right hand. And a player using the standard controller simply presses the buttons that correspond with the displayed note as outlined in the game. So you just press like the different colored buttons to match it. But Derek, if you want real quick to give the audience who may not be music literate an idea of, you know, like what hammer-ons and pull-offs are. Absolutely. So a hammer-on and a pull-off, I remember these being marked, first of all, and the screen coming down. Typically, there was a color corresponding to each button on the guitar. And then there were black rings around notes that you had to use the strumming uh, mechanism for. And then there were no black rings on the ones that you were able to use the hammer-ons or pull-offs for. So the very first button on the guitar is green, and the next one was red. In order to hammer-on, you would have to strum with the finger on the green note. And then without strumming, if you timed it right, you could just press down while holding that green one and hit the red button, and it would still count as if you had strummed it. Now, this was totally optional, but what it meant was that you could move your left or right hand, whatever you had on the neck, Mm -hmm. faster and not have to worry about timing everything up with both hands necessarily. And so what this represents on a guitar is if I play a note on a string on one of the frets, it makes one note. But if I block that part of the string by pressing my finger down on the next fret over closer to my strumming hand, it doesn't matter what I'm holding behind it because that's the point where it cuts off the sound. Got it. Yes, yeah, so that makes sense. And it's it's very similar. And it's taken from actual guitar playing. And that's how you can right. play through music and play songs that you need to shift it. Now, on the other end, the pull-off is sort of backwards to that. So let's continue with that example. If you had your finger on the red one holding the green button down and it went in the reverse direction, you could just lift your red finger up while holding the green one, and that would be a pull-off. You've pulled off your finger. So I know, like, kind of a weird technical thing, but it's pretty easy to figure out once you actually play the game. And it, and it works really well. Once you get in that rhythm of it, especially when you get to that hard and expert difficulty, it's not mandatory, but it definitely saves your strumming hand a bunch. Oh, yeah. And in this first Guitar Hero, it is pretty hard. You have to be very accurate when you do it. I remember most of the time I ended up strumming anyway. Mm-hmm. But in the later Guitar Heroes, there were definitely solos and things that I could just, I would never touch that strum button again. Sure. It was over. And I go, yeah, and it goes to show you just where the games have come and just how fun it is to do those tappings. So the player is awarded points for correctly hitting notes, chords, and sustains. The player can also increase the score multiplier by playing a series of consecutive notes successfully. A rock meter tracks the player's performance based on success or failure of hitting notes, and if the meter drops too low, the song will prematurely end in failure of the player. So it's the crowd booing you, booing you off stage, get off the stage, you know, it's, it's all dejection. And in later ones and in other games, it actually will let you play and practice those sessions, but no, 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 not Guitar Hero 1. This one's saying, no, get off the stage, repeat the song. 
Yeah, if you got to the bad solo in it, you know, it's it's very, very difficult. You had to play all the way up through that song again. That's where those song lengths were really something that you had to pay attention to mm-hmm. uh, in the Guitar Hero 1 game. Especially because you get some of those, those heavier songs, those later ones, that have the solo near the end. So you've already yeah. survived everything, and then that solo, oof, it gets you. Now... The player can also earn, as I had said, star power by playing a series of glowing notes perfectly and using the whammy bar during sustains to keep building up a little bit. Once the star power meter is filled at least halfway, star power can then be activated by briefly tilting the guitar controller vertically or by pressing a specific button on a standard controller. Activating star power will double the scoring multiplier and makes it easier to increase the rock meter by playing correct notes. So if you're suffering through that solo, you know, you may not hitting stuff, Use that star power, and, and it actually gives you more bump up on that rock meter than in just the, let's say, traditional mode. Players can strategically use, as I had said, star power to play through those difficult sessions that you might fail. So it's, it's, it can be used to either like greatly increase your score or to survive. Yeah, if you're very good at it, your score is going to go way, way up, which means you, you had a star rating depending on how well you did from three to five. Three being just complete it, five being completing it very well, sometimes perfectly. And if you use the star power, sometimes it could be the difference between a four star and a five star or uh, failing it in a three star. Let's mm-hmm. say you're in the solo and you know that there's a lot of greens coming up. You can maybe just try and hang out on the greens and reds while you're trying to just get through the solo because those might make you... Uh, bump up that rock meter just enough to get through the solo to where it's playable again. And that's that's the interest of it, too, is just as you go from easy to expert difficulty is learning those sections and strategically using the star power. Because the way the rock meter works is you start off at a zero multiplier or a one times, goes to two, three, and four, and with star power, it doubles that, two, four, six, eight. And that'll help you get those stars because those stars achieve a score total. So think of Mario, any of those games that have a score total you can get old school-wise. Yeah. Same way applies with this, and that's how you get it up there. Definitely the biggest arcade type of aspect mm-hmm. of it. So let's get on to some of the modes and other features. The main mode, of course, which we've talked about, is the career mode, where you're playing in a band, you're traveling between the different performance locations, and you're doing different sets, anywhere from three to five, depending on the difficulty. Completing songs in this mode will unlock the songs for play within other game modes. Players can choose their onstage character and their guitar. These elements have no effect on gameplay, but affect the visuals during the performance. So if you want to be the Grim Ripper, mm-hmm. you could be the Grim Ripper. If you want to be Johnny Napalm, be Johnny Napalm. That was my choice. In career mode, players can earn money from their performances that is redeemable in the in-game store, where the bonus content, such as additional songs, different guitars, different finishes for those guitars, can be unlocked. There's also a quick play mode that allows players to play any unlocked track. You could select the difficulty, the character, the venue, and the guitar from that screen. And after successfully completing a song in either career or quick play mode, the players are given a score and a rating from three to five, depending on their overall performance. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to that score method, so career and quick play are the same in terms of what you'll be doing with it. It's just quick play allows you to play anything that you've beaten and unlocked through career. Multiplayer mode offers two players the chance to compete against each other in the same song. Two fretboards will appear on screen, one for each player, 
as they alternate playing sections of the song in a cooperative manner. The player with the highest score at the end of the song wins. And so that was a relatively thin multiplayer for this first iteration of Guitar Hero. As the games progress, we see the true, uh, we're both playing the same thing at the same time and best man wins, or we're seeing battle modes, or we're seeing the actual duels, things like that. Yeah, so this was just a, a, a play to kind of get it in there, see who can hit the notes perfectly. You know, if one of you fails, you both fail. So it's kind of like you're playing together to like cooperatively, but also getting a score at the end of it. It was an attempt. You know, I think this was kind of just tacked on, not really knowing what to do with a multiplayer, especially in this short development time. So we do see that, as Derek had said, in later iterations and other games that came about with it. The four difficulty levels for each song provide players with a learning curve in order to help them progress in skill. The first difficulty level, easy, only focuses on the first three fret buttons while displaying a significantly reduced amount of notes for the player to play. Medium introduces a fourth fret button while adding more notes, and hard includes the final fret button while adding additional notes as well. Expert does not introduce any other frets to learn, but adds more notes, you know, kind of the the true way to play. Like if you're like playing the true song is what they're trying to say. They're kind of getting all those notes in. The most rhythmically accurate version. Mm Mm-hmm. And finally, the last screen that we have was tutorials. Tutorials teach the player how to play the game. Uh, You know, it focuses on the different frets, how to learn notes, and lessons. First, we have the basic lessons, and this will teach the player how to strum notes. It includes playing different note colors, playing long notes and chords, and it kind of touches on the rock meter and scoring. Next is the star power lesson, which will teach the player how to achieve and activate star power. It includes how to use the whammy bar to get star power, how to hold down long notes to keep the star power rolling, and what happens when your star power runs out. And finally, advanced lessons, which will teach you how to do the hammer-ons and pull-offs. And like Derek said, this one was not very forgiving on those hammer-ons and pull-offs. Guitar Hero 2, we see, you know, the, the audience has spoken. And, <laughs> it was definitely a lot better. And, yes, and they definitely get it to be an actual working section to work. And finally, in this section, let's talk about the cut material. We had a freestyle mode, and this would have allowed the players to write their own music during certain sections of the song, you know, making your own solos plausibly or kind of improvising. It was cut due to a lack of time and resources to make it play naturally. The song Tripolette by Andrew Buck or Andrew Bush was cut from the game due to the fact that someone from QA slipped the song in without the developers knowing. So like, hey, Check out my, my sweet track in the game. And finally, we have the practice mode, which would have allowed the player to select sections of the song and slow them down to better understand it. During QA, Harmonix realized most players were playing the game well enough, so they cut it. It ended up being one of the most requested features after the game was released, and we do see it in later iterations, being able to play sections of the song or being able to like jump back in once you fail to like do that section again. Definitely would have been very beneficial to people, especially with this being the first time that you play this kind of game. The practice mode, I think, would have been so key just for those very long songs. It's disappointing to get to the end of a song like Bark at the Moon and absolutely fail it and have to sit through, you know, however many minutes longer and try it again. But, you know, that's the game, right? That's what happens. So let's talk about the least important part of this game, the music. Yeah, yeah it definitely had no bearing on this game. 
Not really. I just wanted I just wanted a Gini, Johnny Napalm walk around, but uh, sadly didn't get that. So basically from the beginning, they didn't have any idea what kind of songs they were going to be present in the final game. They knew that they wanted rock songs, but they didn't necessarily know which ones specifically. And Kay noted that they wanted 30 or 40 songs for the game and had over 100 on the wish list. The game was to focus mostly on hard rock, but the team was limited by what could be licensed. The team also felt morally obligated to include older classic rock songs like the Ramones' I Want to Be Sedated to the younger target audience of the game. Harmonix had to modify the track list throughout development as certain songs were introduced or removed based on licensing issues, requiring the team to repeatedly balance difficulty and popularity of the track list. Including bonus and hidden tracks, the game features 49 songs. Since the studios couldn't afford to license the songs, most of them are covers. Harmonix would work with Wave Group from the West Coast to record the covers. However, guitarist Zach Wilde found out about the project two weeks before it was completed and asked that one of his songs be featured in the game. Zach Wilde also later on is responsible for having, if you remember correctly, there was a special edition guitar that had the circles on it. Mm-hmm. That's Zach Wilde's guitar. Oh, yeah. So he, he jumped into this project early. He was like, I love this. Oh, yeah. This was the only song that wasn't a cover from a well-known artist. So basically everything in the career mode is covers. And the covers weren't something that they were going to take lightly. Every song needed to sound exactly how it did when it was originally recorded. At one point when researching the song Iron Man by Black Sabbath, the sound producers learned that the legendary line I am Iron Man was recorded while singer Ozzy Osbourne was saying it through a fan. The producers found the same exact model fan Osbourne had used on Craigslist and purchased it for the recording. So yeah, definitely went for the dedication aspect and getting them to sound cuz with covers, these are all I would say pretty good covers, really good. You could it's it's that like back of your mind like this isn't them but it still sounds pretty good was how I felt with most all of them. And I think they did right. I think they did a really great job with the music. The hardest part is when you're putting very iconic artists out there, David Bowie, Freddie Mercury, and Queen. Those are hard to recreate. They have such unique voices. And so those are the ones where you can start to see, hey, this is obviously a cover. You're doing your best, but Freddie Mercury's Freddie Mercury. There's only so much that you can do. Yeah. And, but they got it. Like, like you said, they got it. Like the iconic voices are still kind of there and they did well because overall within, you know, harmonics and within Red Octane, they had 25 employees who played in bands or played music, had vocalists, drums, guitarists, backgrounds, and that's who produced all this. And so it's really cool to have them be a part of this and have all these different vocalists in it and, and get as close as they can to recreating this. And to give you guys an idea on how licensing works with this, I know we said they went for licensing, but there wasn't official songs. They're licensing the right to reproduce the song. So it is a, it's a very much reduced rate. Like you don't have to pay for like the creme de la creme because you're not actually using it, but you're paying for the right to recreate it for this product. So that's, uh, again, legal jargon within it. But if you want to look more like copyright stuff like that, there's different tiers. So they basically paid to recreate the music and not just use it. Because that budget of, you know, 1.7 would have been like 30, 40 million. <laughs> <laughs> right. Unless they wanted basically a game filled with the tracks that they ended up using for most of the bonus tracks. Yes. 
So the songs chosen were picked to appeal to an American audience. It also features tracks from the Acrobrats and the Anarchy Club, both bands having members that worked at Harmonix. Harmonix also held the Be a Guitar Hero contest, allowing lesser-known bands to submit a song to be featured in the game. The only rules were that it had to be either rock or heavy metal, and had to feature a lead guitar. Graveyard Barbecue's Cheat on the Church was the obvious winner. And before this, Graveyard Barbecue was just a local band that had actually formed as a joke. Designer Daniel Sussman stated in an interview with Entertainment Depot that he noticed a growth in the MySpace pages for most of the bands who were actually featuring Guitar Hero. You know, it's pretty obvious. You have this. We're like, I've never heard of this band before. That's actually pretty good. Who is this? You know, so, well, again, rip MySpace. But this was back (laughs) when MySpace still held a lot of music and was kind of the way for especially bands to have a band page that wasn't just a website to feature their music. Oh, yeah. This was before I was out playing gigs and the bands that I would discover locally, always finding them on MySpace. We had a local site that they used as well, but this was definitely a big deal for people because we had iTunes. You could find music there digitally, but not a lot of local bands were putting their stuff up like they can on Spotify now. It was a lot Mm -hmm. harder to get noticed. Well, yeah, because before it was you had to sell your tracks. There was no kind of pay a fee, put everything you want on here, and hopefully someone listens, and then you get a cut of it. You actually had to like have a label for some a lot of it to, to actually publish your stuff and get it out there for sales. Pedal them so at the mall. Mm-hmm, it's definitely come a long way with that. Now, you know, thankfully for me, an official soundtrack was never released, but the bonus and hidden songs found in the game were made official right before the game's release. So we'll, we'll jump through those real quick. Again, there's a couple on here that I actually still follow them. They will have some later releases in there. So I'll jump into a few and I'm gonna have Derek take over the rest of them and we'll kind of talk back and forth who they are, if we recognize some of them, and if you guys recognize some of them. Are they your friends? Is this you? The world will only know. I'm looking at this list and I already know what both of our favorite is. So, Oh, yeah. So let's start it up. We got Fired Up by the Black Label Society, Cheat on the Church with Graveyard BBQ, Cavemen Rejoice by The Bags, Eureka, I Found Love by The Upper Crust, All of This by Seamus, Behind the Mask by The Anarchy Club, The Breaking Wheel, Artillery, later known as Breaking Wheel. And then Derek, Derek, continue. Let let us know, because I haven't hit my favorite yet. I know you haven't hit your favorite either. Yeah, we'll get all the way through it, and then we'll say it at the same time, because I'm very confident we'll say the artist. Absolutely. Okay. Call Out by the Acrobrats. This is not my favorite, but still a really good one, really fun to play. Decontrol by Drist. Even Rats by The Slip, also a fun one. Mm-hmm. Farewell Myth by Made in Mexico. Fly on the Wall by Din. Get Ready to Rock by Freeze Pop. Guitar Hero, the song by Monkey Steals the Peach. Hey by Honest Bob and the Factory to Dealer Incentives. Not my favorite song, definitely my favorite name. Also, I was about to say, also a great track. <laughs> Sail Your Ship by by Count Zero and Story of My Love by the Model Sons. Now, let's try and do this over stream. We're going to do our best, but on, on three. On three, okay. okay. One, two, three, freeze, freeze pop. pop. In my ears, that worked perfectly, but freeze pop is it. <laughs> freeze pop, if you don't know, is such a fun, weird I don't even call it right. It's a bit of rock, but it's more like dance, electronica, underground fun. <laughs> and you, we actually do get another freeze pop song yeah. in a later Guitar Hero game. Guitar Hero 2. 
Yep. And we get Freeze Pop again. Some of these bands actually do come back. We actually get some more songs from them. But I know Freeze Pop, especially the Acro Brats. Uh, Honest Bob actually does make a, a return as well. Oh, does he? Uh, but oh my gosh. It's, again, these were such gems that I actually really appreciate. They were really necessary. And the difference between the career path and these bonus songs is that these, like we said earlier, all the master recordings, these are legit mm-hmm. indie, underground, local, whatever you want to call them, bands. And so it was a great way to discover new music. And I remember going to Freeze mm-hmm. Pop's MySpace and yeah, they had some great stuff on there. And <laughs> Get Ready to Rock by them. It was not a guitar track. You were playing no. a synth, I think, with the mm-hmm. guitar controller. Still a lot of fun. So much fun with it. I, I really enjoyed it. it was, again, I pulled some bands from this and I pulled a lot of bands from this, especially later Guitar Heroes even like rock band, uh, DJ hero, all great stuff with that. Now to wrap it up, we had some hidden songs that could only be accessed through a game shark or action replay. And these were triple which we had talked about before from Andrew Butch or Andrew Bush, however you say it, uh, who was a member of the red octane team, tried to throw his track sneakily on there and, uh, put it in the bonus songs, man, you work there. That's what I'm saying. But, Either way, they had Graveyard Shift by Wind Tunnel Syndrome. So those two could still be played, but they were just off the main code. You just had to pull the code off. It was still in the, it was still baked in. I've never listened to Triple X. Maybe it was just really bad. And that's why they were like, I'm it sorry, could, Andrew. You're trying, baby. You're trying. But no. Oh, poor Andrew. So this was a PlayStation 2 exclusive. The game was going to release for the Xbox as well. The port was being worked on by Mad Cats, but Konami was actually suing all of the Guitar Hero developers for the game. And Mad Cats paid Konami $300,000 and pulled out of the development. So yeah, so Konami did come at them and there was a settlement between it, you know, to kind of be like, hey, 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 let's settle this. You know, we're doing this. And because they, like we had stated earlier, there were copyrights or at least patents on the controller. So that type of stuff. And basically being the same game, it was definitely different. So that's why, you know, they kind of settled it. But it definitely was a start with it. It was, it was, it was interesting. And it's to see like Mad Cats, you know, if you guys don't know, Mad Cats is basically the king of third-party controllers. If you had an Xbox at one point, you probably had a Mad Cats controller that you gave to your little brother or your friend you didn't like so much. Or if you wanted to throw that turbo on and use Ooh. that against your friends in the local multiplayers, Mad Cats yeah, was for wrong. you. Not wrong right there. So how was this game received? We talked about how it was a big risk. Best Buy actually predicted that the game would sell 30,000 units from November 2005 to January 2006. So the busy months, busy periods for video gaming. Mm -hmm. And it sold 3,000 copies in two hours. So 10% already out of the way. Best Buy would quickly call Red Octane to request 80,000 more copies of the game. This was great for the studio, but the controllers were manufactured in China, so there would be a delay on getting the game to stores in the U.S. quickly. It did not help that Sony had guidelines with which companies could produce copies of the game. This made Guitar Hero the hardest video game to find for Christmas 2005. And I remember when I got this game, I had to check very regularly just to be able to find it. And I think I finally found it at GameStop during one of many, many visits. Yeah, that was around the time, you know, the, the, the early 2000s was also a time where it was actually hard to find video games. When everything was physical, 
there were those those winter months that Black Friday through Christmas where some games were sold out. You know, very similar to we're seeing consoles right now. That's what it was back then. We're just reliving the 05s. <laughs> the 05s. The Don't 05s. ruin my nostalgia train, listeners. <laughs> In 11 months, $40 million worth of Guitar Hero games were sold. Shortly afterwards, Red Octane was acquired by Activision for upwards of $100 million. Activision felt that they could easily bring production costs down and connect the studio with well-known music brands. EA passed on an opportunity to purchase Red Octane, but the lead analyst did not see the game producing any more successful titles. Well, you know, 2020 hindsight right there, baby. (laughs) The game would earn a 91 out of 100 on Metacritic. It won dozens of awards, including various Game of the Year awards, and IGN giving it just about every award that it could associate with the game. Wired, CNN, and The Start have all stated that Guitar Hero was the third most important video game of the decade. The creator of the Civilization games, Sid Meier, stated during an interview with Kotaku, quote, I think music games are really cool, and if I had a great idea, I'd probably be working on it. But just the idea of opening up the fun and creativity and joy of music to a huge audience is great. We like to think we opened up some of the richness of history to people with the Civilization games. There's so many rich topics out there, and I think music is one of them. I think Guitar Hero has done a great job of giving people access to the fun of music, and I really applaud them for that. So, I mean, you've got a major, major head who everyone knows Sid Meier. Like, like, he's done Civilization, Pirates, like all these crazy games out there. To come out and be like, yeah, dude, if I had the idea for Guitar Hero, it'd be Sid Meier's Guitar Hero right there. <laughs> like, it's a great idea. The Guitar Hero controller has been used for a multitude of functions beyond the game. Creators and gamers have used it to play other games like Dark Souls and Bloodborne, you know, doing like a no-hit run. Used for prosthetic limb research at the John Hopkins University and used by NASA in microgravity experiments. And was used by Melinda Walker, a grandmother in Indiana, to fend off three armed gunmen. She, she said, are you prepared to shred? <laughs> you aren't ready to rock. You, you are not. Get out of my venue. Guitar Hero very quickly became one of the most popular party games to ever release. It was developed for a niche audience at the end of the PlayStation 2's life cycle, and it actually, in my opinion, brought up a rise in not only music, but I think guitar playing in itself. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. it's been slammed by musicians such as former Rolling Stones guitarist Bill Wyman, who says that these games are preventing youth from playing real instruments. I would argue the opposite. Though this is simply an observation made by a potentially jaded rock star, the game would define the genre for years to come. Sites like Salon have stated that, in fact, Guitar Hero saved the guitar. The game and its sequels have created interest in young adults and children in learning how to play a real guitar and have been considered as a cultural phenomenon that have created a significant cultural impact. Salon interviewed several guitar teachers, and they all said that Guitar Hero was the best thing to happen to the guitar in a long time. The game gave fans a taste of what it feels like to be a rock star. And it did. I mean, there was a decline. I mean, you could talk about this more than I can. Uh, just in musical instruments at the time. I don't think it was, it was too cool to kind of play some stuff, but getting a guitar in your hand, even just Guitar Hero, to feel like, ooh, you know what? I kind of want to do this for real. I think that it definitely got people more interested in the guitar for sure. I think that it also sort of brought back some of those older songs that they decided to do. I think if they had picked very modern songs for this first one especially, that maybe kids wouldn't be as interested in older music 
and especially guys like Stevie mm-hmm. Ray Vaughan, who's like a guitar legend, Eric Clapton, another guitar legend. These sure. guys are the guys that really impacted modern guitar playing. So if people were ever playing Guitar Hero as a sort of a a bridge to playing the real guitar, I think that the track list was stupendous for getting them mm-hmm. kind of on the right path because at the time the the music that was popular was pop punk. It's very simple music. If you were listening to rock music, it's very simple, easier to play, a lot easier than a lot of that older stuff was. So it was good to get those names and younger kids' heads to say, hey, you know, this is the kind of music that you can play with a guitar. It is cool. It It is fun. You know, you can do all these things. So I think that it was really great. I had a lot of fun with Guitar Hero even as a guitarist. I was relatively... Mm-hmm fresh in my guitar playing career at that point but i don't know i mean it's it's one thing to play guitar it's a totally different thing to play guitar heroes so if you're tired of not playing so well on the guitar and you're like you know what i just want to feel what it's like to actually be able to shred then i'm just gonna totally. go pick up guitar hero so i think that it kind of works within that realm and helps a little bit in that way and especially helps with the ability to have good rhythm, which is such an underrated and important aspect of guitar playing. It's absolutely it. And, you know, I played guitar for a minute. You've played it for a long time. You know, guitars aside, I think it was such a fun game that brought us together to play it. You know, again, going to Guitar Hero 2 more so, we would walk up to the local GameStop because they had, back when GameStops had display games and, and you know, like demos and stuff there, we could oh, yeah. play it was like six tracks, seven tracks, like like a couple dots of tracks in there. You could play the first five, I know that. And then maybe one or two harder ones. Yeah, I can't exactly remember which ones it was. It might have been a bonus track or something like that. But... It was something. I remember Franz Ferdinand was there and like Smoke on the Water because those were like baked into my mind because we just walk up there and just play the tracks. And it was just such a fun experience with that. And again, a little nostalgia bacon with it. Mm, nostalgia bacon. <laughs> a little Bake nostalgia on. baked in with it. Uh, <laughs> it was just such a cool experience with it. And not only that, that led to Guitar Hero developing even more, coming out with the next-gen consoles uh, with the PS3 and the 360 at the time, and then leading to Rock Band being developed, which is actually a split, which Harmonix did whenever Red Octane and then split. They actually you know, created their own game. And in my opinion, mm. I'm, a, I'm a Rock Band nerd. I like it a little bit more and it incorporated more. And uh, we had our own rock band for a while. You know, we, we played that oh, in my, yeah. my mom's house in like a little den area. Oh, you yeah. Know, played that throughout the night and just like, just did so cool. Just so much fun. So, so the, the rhythm games for me hold a really big place in my heart and uh, love it. So Derek, we've kind of both talked about why we love this game and kind of what we know. Real quick, why did we choose it? We talked about why we love it, but why did we choose it and what's your rating? Guitar Hero, man. I have a lot of love for this game. I really do. I still have my Guitar Hero 2 controller. I It's the only one that's held up out of all the mm-hmm. guitar controllers. Mm-hmm. I think I might still have the PlayStation 1 somewhere, but I don't have a PS2 anymore. So, But I, I still have Guitar Hero 3. I have Guitar Hero Aerosmith. I have the first two rock bands. I have Guitar Hero 2, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I have Guitar Hero Rocks the 80s, but again, I don't have a PlayStation. So... It's one of those games that I have gone back and played occasionally. I mean, even as recent as 
playing it with my now wife. I mean, like, I'll go back and I'll play Guitar Hero. I'll play Rock Band especially because I have so many songs for that game and they're the licensed ones and they're so much fun. But Guitar Hero 1, when I saw it for the first time, I was just like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, this, not only is this something that I'm already really interested in in guitar, but this works really well. And it's still a lot of fun for me, which I don't think it was supposed to be fun for guitar players. I know a lot of guitar players that did play this game. And at a certain skill level, maybe it's not as much fun anymore. So maybe that had something to do with it for me just at that point in my life. But it's just a game that I can look on fondly and, and share and enjoy music with my friends. It's something that I think brought me together with a lot of people in high school, go over to their house after the fact, play a little bit of Guitar Hero with them. I mean, it was a true, fun, competitive party game. You were still there. You were still listening to music. You were still hanging out. For me, this first Guitar Hero is like nine and a half out of ten. And that's yeah. high, I think, maybe. But I just, I really did love it that much. The only like half five, the point fivey, is the covers. Um, I'm glad that they were mm-hmm. able to start getting more licensed music in the later games, yes. eventually trending toward a fully licensed game. And then also the difficulty of the hammer-ons and pull-offs, I think, made some of the songs a lot harder than they really needed to be because, again, there's a little bit of a delay sometimes depending on your television set and the difference between what you're hearing and where your fingers are actually moving. So I think having a little bit of forgiveness there would have made the game um, more fun. You would have felt like a true shredder. Yes, it, w- it wouldn't have taken you the experience of it and be like, ah, because when you hear those like bonk, bonk, bink, bonks, when you're hitting the oh, wrong yeah. notes, and you get that in a row because you've missed, you're like, oh my God, I'm the worst. All right, that's a review. It's a numbered. I'll accept it. Uh, so, the reason I chose this is not only was it, you know, a, a great game for the PS2, I'm more of a Guitar Hero 2 person, as, you know, Derek and I have both kind of stated. That's where we kind of found the footing for it. But it launched an entire genre of games. Think of this as like the DayZ. The H1N1, you know, kind of that like Battle Royale thing, this really like relaunched and revitalized the rhythm games, especially in the Western Hemisphere. You know, not only that, it has launched Rock Band, it has launched DJ Hero, which is a spawn from Guitar Hero, as well as Clone Hero. Clone Hero is an open source fan-made game that has all these downloadable tracks. You can make your own tracks, make your own backgrounds, play with all this stuff. And it's amazing just how many people still want to play this? I mean, there's entire YouTube channels of people who, I think, unfortunately, at times get DCMA'd now or DMCA'd, whatever it is. And, uh, but they play like, you know, custom tracks or meme tracks or just funny stuff. So it's the life has continued on and on and on and on. It's unfortunate, you know, that they kind of fell to the wayside with their, their latest games with Guitar Hero. Uh, but the, the first ones, though, that, that established the genre and, and, it established people playing guitar. And then when Rock Band came out, it established people playing other instruments and keyboard and singing and guitar and bass and rhythm and all this other stuff. So if I had to give it a rating, I'd probably give it uh, Johnny Napalm. Uh, that's an addition, of course. Um, 
fighting the Grim Ripper uh, to see who can play uh, Smoke on the Water the best. But the Grim Ripper actually busted one of his chords, so he actually, uh, not a, a full chord, so basically eight strings have broken on his six-string guitar, and he's a Grim Ripper, so he's actually changing it up and has 14 strings now. And it's just amazing how he's able to change his guitar up. Probably out of five stars, but honestly wasn't fully developed or realized because of star power out of 10. Nicely done. So I like it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, it's the true review. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys again. I mean, that was our coverage, you know, of Guitar Hero. Very excited to do it. And uh, roll the credits. Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker with research assistance provided by Evan Barr. The intro and outro music for this episode was composed and recorded by Evan Barr. And as always, couldn't be done without them and couldn't be done without our patrons. So if you don't know about our Patreon, we say it every time. We've got some new stuff coming. Check it out. We've got some added additions to the different tiers and we've got some really, really cool stuff coming your way. And so we want to thank those people today. We have Tactics, Sky the Bear, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Trace, Alex Harper, Nick Hyman, Tuna0317, Richard Scanlon, Mick Chief, Climbing Spork, Mr.1898, William Kroll, Cameron Collier, and Mr. Toot. So thank you guys again for the support and uh, truly appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please follow us on our social media accounts. We're on Instagram, Twitter. We've also got a Discord. It's free to join. We'd love to see you guys there. Alex and I are always chatting it up with everybody. We have a really good time. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, if you haven't seen already, we are doing some updates to our merch. So we got some new beautiful merch updates coming. Just some fun stuff we've been meaning to put up there and just haven't yet. So check that out over on our Etsy and also on a couple other pages, which are linked below. And as well, catch me over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. And Derek, where can they catch you? They can find me at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, please leave us a review. We love to hear feedback from you guys, and it helps us out a lot. And thank you again. That was our coverage of Guitar Hero. What did you think? Have you shredded before, or are you going to shred now? What other terrible puns can I throw your way? (laughs) And as always, I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.